Hey everybody, it's Josh. I hope that you're all staying happy and healthy and safe and sane right now in this time we're all in. Um, I wanted to quickly, before we started the episode, um, just take a minute to explain. <laughs> you can probably hear from the way the audio sounds right now that I'm having some major issues with my microphone. My microphone has pretty much kicked the bucket, and this episode you're about to listen to has been plagued by some very significant sound problems. So I went through as best as I could to try and tweak the sound levels and to get you, you know, the best sounding podcast episode that I possibly could. I've always prided myself on having very high sound quality for my podcast um, because I've gotten a lot of really nice feedback from listeners about how it sounds. And so that's always been something I've really put a lot of stock in. So it kind of hurts a little bit that this episode was not up to snuff at all. <laughs> but um, I really hope that I was able to make it listenable and enjoyable for you guys as much as I could. I guess like everything else in the world right now, we just kind of have to roll with the punches and go with the flow as best we can. And um, so I'm just glad I'm able to have some content for you guys and um, maybe offer a little bit of for those who might need it. So uh, thanks again for all your support and for listening and for your patience during, <laughs> during the craziness. And I hope that you are taking some time to really take care of yourself and to take care of loved ones um, and appreciate the people in your life that are important to you, even though we might have to do it from a distance. So uh, thanks again. And I really hope you enjoy this episode of Movies at Rock, which is the song remains the same. Thanks. I pledge allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the band. It may perhaps discourage you, and others of your kidney were infected with this vicious virus, that you'll be ordered to pay a fine of seventy-five pounds. I'll pay now if you don't mind. Just make ten louder, and make ten be the top number, and make that a little louder. These guys are eleven. Welcome to Movies That Rock, a rock and roll journey through cinema. I'm your host, Josh Fitzgerald, and coming back to the show today is the one and only Mr. Mike Bagford. How are you doing, Mike? Good evening. I'm uh, doing good. Good evening to you. Thanks. What's new and exciting? Just been hanging out the house <laughs> for some reason. Yeah, for some reason. Yeah, it seems like the thing to do these days. Yeah, very popular. Yes, <laughs> which is a good thing. So glad, glad you're, you're doing well. You're staying inside and staying healthy. And um, listening to a lot of Led Zeppelin. Heck yeah. <laughs> That's what I spent most of my day doing. I, that wasn't my album of the day. I started, for people who might not know, I started doing the Rock Solid Album of album a Day series, which is where you pick an album every day. I know you participate too in this, Mike. I'm trying to do, because we're in March right now as we're recording this, I'm trying to finish out the month with all female artists for Women's Month. So I didn't pick a Led Zeppelin album today, but I did listen to two of them, so... Yeah, I think uh, Dave Finn's doing the same thing you're doing. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was doing every single day a female artist or just kind of on certain days. I came very late to the party today. It was only my third day of doing that. Hey, we're welcome to have you, and we uh, look forward to your picks. Thanks. Yeah, I've been trying to put a lot of thought into him to keep him as diverse as possible. So, But yeah, I did manage to listen to the first two Led Zeppelin albums today. 
Those are those are two of their stronger ones, in my opinion. Uh, m- maybe I don't know. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, we'll we'll get into it a little bit, but <laughs> but yeah, Mike is here today to talk about the song remains the same, the 1976 Led Zeppelin concert adjacent film. Maybe is the best way to put it. It's mostly a concert film. Thankfully. <laughs> yes, there's other things in there that are not concerty. It's like 90, 85 to 90% a concert film. So let's let's talk a little bit about, I'm, I've been so excited to talk about Led Zeppelin, the band, because it's a band I have very mixed and complicated emotions about. And, and it's a band I never really get to discuss with people all that much, because I think it's just because they're such a highly discussed band. People feel like there's nothing right. more to say about them, you know? When was your first introduction to Led Zeppelin? Um, when I was about eight, I um... This is kind of around my classic rock phase. I'm still kind of in a classic rock phase, but <laughs> I was just—I was still getting into like Jimi Hendrix and Santana and the Rolling Stones. Um, PBS was doing a series at the time called Rock and Roll. I think Leave Shriver was doing the narration of oh, it, wow. and it was—it was a ten-part series, and they had an episode in which they talked about the Yardbirds, which led into Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. I thought these guys sound pretty good. Um, I would like to listen to more of their stuff. Um, I started out with the first album. I really enjoyed it and kind of just went on from there. Um, I became a big fan of Led Zeppelin. It's kind of around that time. If you're pretty much a classic rock fan, I feel like you kind of go through phases of bands or you like a lot of certain stuff at a certain age. Like, when you're around about 10 to 15, you're really into like bands like the Led Zeppelin and <laughs> and the Doors. For sure. I definitely went through a pretty heavy Doors phase, and I think it was seventh grade. Yeah, it was about around the same time I've gotten to the Doors. <laughs> that was a phase that I, didn't last that long. Yeah, that's the funny thing about the Doors. It seems like people get into that band at a certain age, and then they kind of just drop off at a certain period. A, a period not that long after. Yeah. Led Zeppelin lasted a little bit longer, but it's kind of been one of those bands that's been kind of on and off for me. It's They're not a band that I listen to all of the time, mm-hmm. but if I get into a certain type of mood, I'll be listening to them a lot. They're one of those bands, too, that kind of radio has overexposed them a little bit, so it's a little bit hard to want to have a big listening phase of Led Zeppelin, if you get what I mean. Absolutely, yeah. Even bands like The Who, I mean, they get played on the radio constantly, but there are certain deep tracks of theirs that I don't really get sick of as I would Led Zeppelin. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because Led Zeppelin just gets played all the time. I also think The Who just have a bigger catalog. They've been, they were around a lot longer than Led Zeppelin were, and so they have more of a back catalog of deep cuts that aren't played on the radio as much? It seems like FM radio will only play a certain amount of food songs, and they play, it seems like a greater number of Led Zeppelin songs. I kind of noticed that. Yeah, that is that is very true. While the Who have some classic albums, pretty much every song on, say, like Led Zeppelin 4 will get played on the radio with regularity. Right. Whereas with the Who, you know, even though they have like Who's Next and Quadrophenia and those classic albums... They're not going to play a deep cut from Who's Next on the radio when they would probably, when you wouldn't, it wouldn't be that odd to hear something like 
going to California or when the levee breaks on classic rock radio, even though they weren't hit singles. Yeah. It seems like when the levee breaks is about as big as like rock and roll is. Absolutely. And especially since who was it? Was it Jay-Z that used that song as a sample or was it Kanye? I don't remember, but one of the big rappers of the time of, of right now used the drum part from when the levee breaks on one of their hits. And I think that catapulted the song back under the airwaves. I think you're about right. <laughs> I, I'm going to have to look that up because I don't remember offhand. Um, keep talking and I'll look it up. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I got into the song Remains the Same about the same time I got solved the Who's Tommy film, which we talked about in the previous episode. Yes. Yes, and this is around the time of Blockbuster Video where I want to rent all the rock concert movies and documentaries I can soak up all this classic rock. And so I feel like the song remains the same. It's like one of those go-tos. Like you have to experience the film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was, um, it was Dr. Dre. Gotcha. The song remains the same. is definitely one of those gold standard movies that everybody is kind of expected to see. Yeah, and it might not really be that gold standard as you think, as we're going to talk about. Yes, for sure. I have a very similar, but even more complicated story with my interest in Led Zeppelin, I guess you could say. My story is a little bit later. As probably most of the listeners know, I grew up listening to, you know, the Beatles, who music that my dad listened to, a lot of yes, a lot of prog rock. And you would think that Led Zeppelin kind of would fit in that mold very easily, but he was never really a Zeppelin guy. I think a lot of this like occult stuff and the mysticism he found off-putting. So my dad didn't really listen to Led Zeppelin at all when I was a kid. Like he, I think he even told me that he kind of actively disliked them. So there was that. And also too, my mom, her, her first husband, his favorite band was Led Zeppelin. But as it turned out, he was like, not to get too personal, but he was like a terribly abusive, horrible person. And so I think she had a little bit of like PTSD when she heard Led Zeppelin's music. And so that made it a little bit complicated for me to to want to listen to that music. Right. And she even actually, it's funny, interestingly, she actually saw Led Zeppelin on this tour that we're going to be talking about in 1973 when she was seven months pregnant with my brother, which is Real. pretty insane. Yeah. But yeah, so for those two reasons, I never really started listening to them at all until I was maybe in college. Like I knew who they were. I knew Stereo to Heaven. I knew Cashmere because that's the one song that my dad loves by Led Zeppelin and probably in a whole lot of love and just, you know, the ones you hear all the time. But I never really like they actually in in some ways, they, they kind of creeped me out a little bit. And again, a lot of it has to do with it, with the mysticism and the just the dark surreality that surrounds them, I guess you could say. One thing I have to give Led Zeppelin a lot of credit for is they're really one of a kind as far as world building goes. Like they've created this amazing mystique around them and this really fascinating world that is very unique and very much their own Led Zeppelin world. Does that make sense? Like with the whole Lord of the Rings stuff and all that, <laughs> Middle Earth and everything, it's it's unique in rock and roll. And I, I think they do a really good job of that. But yeah, it was a struggle when I was a kid to listen to Led Zeppelin. And also, too, when I got older and I started listening to their actual albums, and I now own all their albums, I was thinking that they would be more prog-oriented rather than more hard rock-oriented because I saw that they had these really long songs and they were contemporaries of Yes and a lot of the kind of second-wave British invasion and the prog, and they weren't. It was more blues. 
and more hard rock. I wasn't really prepared for that. I've grown to like them quite a bit. They're not, I wouldn't consider them one of my favorite groups now. I posted on Twitter at one point that summed up my feelings about Led Zeppelin where I wrote, they're one of those bands where I always think I like them more than I actually do when I listen to them. I kind of feel the same way. 15-year-old Mike Bagford, Led Zeppelin was, you know, one of my top five bands. Mm -hmm. They could do no wrong. Yeah. But it seems like as time goes on, the more I hear their music, the more I know about them individually, personally, it kind of go down in my book a little bit. Listeners, dear, wonderful listeners, I really hope that we're not losing you with this conversation. <laughs> I hope we don't make any enemies because we're, we're, we're shading Led Zeppelin a little bit. They still have some great stuff. I mean, they're great for a reason, but yeah, people think they're not up there with the Beatles and Pink Floyd and the Who, in my opinion. They were probably better musicians than most of those bands. Yeah, um, Jimmy Page is like was one of the top session guitarists of the '60s. Like he appeared mm -hmm. on so many recordings. He was on a lot of the early Kink stuff and uh, and some of the early Who stuff. And John Paul Jones, I mean, he's my favorite member of the band. I think he's a yeah. very underrated member of Led Zeppelin. He is a phenomenal bass player. He's a great arranger. Yeah, the least amount of ego, for sure. Yeah. Although, during the film that we're going to talk about, he wanted to wear a different outfit. Oh, He's yeah. different. <laughs> now, I had read that that was an accident. It could be, but... Uh... Who knows? There's so many myths and legends surrounding Led Zeppelin. The story I read was that the producers didn't tell him what days they were going to be filming. So he would just wear whatever he wanted to. And he wanted to be consistent with the story of the movie or whatever you want to say. He wanted to be consistent from concert to concert when they were filming. And so he would go out on stage and you'd see the cameras there and he'd be wearing a different outfit from last time. Not knowing that they were filming. And he'd just be like, oh, well, whatever. Can't do anything about it now. Yeah, he'd have that sweet jacket with like the apple on the sleeve one night and then mm -hmm. <laughs> then like a plain white top another yeah that is a pretty sick jacket jimmy page's jacket is pretty sick too yeah it looks like it would be really hot but then again he's not wearing anything underneath it so i guess it makes, it makes up for <laughs> yeah. it but yeah they definitely knew how to dress that's for sure the peak of my fandom was probably in college maybe early 20s and then i didn't listen to him for a while and then as i got back into him again like in the last five years it's interesting some of the albums that held up for me and other ones that didn't hold up as much for me. So again, I still like them, but I, I don't know. They're not they're not a go-to band for me. I feel the same way too. It seems like a couple of years ago, I kind of went back for the albums myself mm -hmm. and some hold up held up really well. And then some just like fell by the wayside, like that debut album. I used to hold that in high regard. And then a couple of years later, I listened to it and, I mean, there's some really classic tracks on there, but there's some overplayed stuff and two of the most boring blues covers ever made. <laughs> the blues, the blues stuff on that album is oh, really drags it down. Yeah, I feel like falling asleep during that keyboard solo and you shook me and then that boring harmonica solo. <laughs> Let's quickly just go album by album and do a thumbs up, thumbs down. All right, that sounds good. Led Zeppelin 2, what do you think? I'd kind of give it a little bit of a thumbs up. Yeah, I feel the same way. To me, it's a thumbs up minus. Yeah, I feel about the same way. There's still some problems in that album, kind of with the first album. There's mm. some unnecessary blues, and I think some of the stuff is very overplayed. 
but I think it's overplayed for a reason. It's yeah. I think it's a much better album than the first one. The second Led Zeppelin album also feels like they are really trying harder to actually rock rather than just do blues stuff. Like they're they really uh, cranked up the amps and let it loose a little bit more. Yeah. How about Led Zeppelin three? Oh, a big solid thumbs up. Okay, guys, get ready. This is my favorite Led Zeppelin album. And guess what? This is my favorite Led Zeppelin really? album as well. <laughs> Up top. Yeah, no, it's, it's wildly underrated. It's the songs, I think, are very, very well-crafted. It's The production is much stronger, I think, on that album than the first two. I like the acoustic noodlings. I like the... It, it feels adventurous. It feels like they've really come to their own. Yeah, it seems like it's the most solid Um the tracks aren't as overplayed. I think Immigrant Song does get a lot of play, but I still enjoy it whenever I hear it. Yeah. I really like the folky stuff that they do on that album. I wish they went down that road a little bit more than they ended up doing. Led Zeppelin 4, what do you think? Uh, thumbs down. Oh, wow. Okay. I do give this one like a hesitant thumbs up, simply on the basis of probably the reason you give it a thumbs down, in that it's way oversaturated. Yeah, I'm sick of this album. Yeah. I can't stand it anymore. Like The only two tracks that I really want to get back to are The Battle of Evermore and Going to California. Yeah. Finally enough, the folky songs on the album. Right. By the way, as a side note, I've been working on trying to learn to play the mandolin while I've been stuck inside. One of the songs that I tried to, uh, tried to learn was The Battle of Evermore. And I don't know if it's my fingers, I don't know if it's the song, or if it's if the mandolin's out of tune, but man, oh, it is not happening. It is not working out at all. <laughs> so that I do like that song, but it, it, as of like the past couple of days, I'm like, I need a break from that one. <laughs> the songs I think are pretty strong. It's just that I've heard them so many times. Black Dog and Rock and Roll are, to me, they're not nondescript kind of cock rock songs. I mean, Stare to Heaven is a brilliant song in many ways but it's kind of fallen victim to its own hype and its own um legacy i guess you could say uh houses of the holy i'd give that one a thumbs up yes this one this one was one of the more complicated ones for me because when i was first getting into led zeppelin this was actually my favorite album for a while and then i went back and i listened to it maybe the beginning of last year or the year before, and this one really didn't hold up to me. It has one of my favorite Led Zeppelin songs on it, which we'll get to, but I think the album as a whole kind of fell a little bit flat for me. This is like a thumb sideways for me. Okay, I could see your point on that. I mean, there are some overplayed songs on that, but it does have one of my top three songs on there as well. So There's two like super, super big classics on this for me. You know what I think it is about Houses of the Holy? It feels a little bit undercooked. A lot of the songs don't feel like they were fully developed or fully formed as much as they could have been. I don't know if I really feel that way on it. But, I mean, it's been a while since I've listened to that album. I think when I was listening to the albums a couple of years ago, that's one I didn't really go back to. So maybe I need to give it a re-listen to this year. I love the cover, though. Okay, Physical Graffiti. What do you think? I give this one a thumbs up. It probably could have used some editing a little bit yeah this one is a, is another meh for me this is a thumb sideways there's again a couple masterpieces on it but there's also a lot of a lot to trudge through as well yeah i feel the same way um there are some leftover tracks i think some of the leftover tracks probably would have fit well on some of the albums but some of them i can tell why they're leftovers mm -hmm. <laughs> and so they just became double album filler 
Yeah. And then we go on to Presence. Uh, Thumbs Down. Yeah, this one is not a great album. And funnily enough, before I listened to these albums a couple of years ago, I kind of held this one in high regard. I think because of one of the tracks on it, which we'll get to in my top three. Yeah, but the rest of the album, I just, I can't really get into all that much. It's just it's very just mad. Yeah, they were going through a rough time at that point. Uh, Jimmy Page was heavily into drugs at that point. Uh, Robert Plant got into a very serious car crash, and he was in a wheelchair for about a year and a half. And didn't he, um, he lost his son as well, too, right? His son passed away around the same time. Yes. Yes, his son passed away during the Presence tour. The rest of the tour had to get canceled. This was a pretty dark period in Led Zeppelin. Okay, after that we have, oh boy, we have In Through the Outdoor next, right? I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. I got to give this one a thumbs up, too. This one, when I was re-listening to the Led Zeppelin catalog, this one surprised me a lot by how much I liked it and by how well it holds up. Yeah, I wonder if it's because maybe our musical tastes kind of expanded over the years, so maybe this is a reason. It's a bit more mature than some of the other albums. It is more mature. The production is stronger, and um, and of course it's legendary. They have to put out there that this album was recorded at ABBA's studio in Sweden, recorded at Benny and Bjorn's studio, and that they credit that as a big reason why the production sounds so uh, so polished on that one yes and uh john paul jones took over that album pretty much this is pretty much john paul jones's baby um Mm -hmm. jimmy page kind of had some criticism about the album after it came out he said it wasn't too heavy enough yeah it was a little glossy for him which i mean i don't have a problem with that but it was not to his taste but i think john paul jones really hit a home run with this album i think so too this probably be uh, in my top three led zeppelin albums oh yeah me too and uh, the only the only song that I think maybe is a little overplayed is "Fool in the Rain," but it's still it's still a good song. And that's one I actually don't get sick of. I could maybe do without "Hot Dog," but that's probably the only song that's kind of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that one sucks. But yeah, this album is a thumbs up. And then Coda, I'm gonna actually abstain from this one because I'm not really that familiar with that album. Um, I would give a thumbs down for the original album, but I'd give a sideway thumbs up for the deluxe edition that came out a few years ago. It's just a collection of outtakes. I mean, there's still some good stuff on there. There, I mean, there's good stuff on all the What's Up One albums, even though some are kind of more mad than others. This one's pretty much a meh. Yeah, so now we have to do our top three songs. So I'm going to let you go first. All right. My song number three, this is a track off of an album I don't really care for, but I love the song. Uh, this is called Achilles' Last Stand. Yes. I had a feeling that was coming when you mentioned Presence, because that is considered one of their best, if not their best extended work. Uh, this is a song that I've 
love to play drums to. And it, it took some practicing to kind of get it down. I bet it did. <laughs> John Bonham is no walk in the park. Yeah, he's a phenomenal drummer. When they say Thunder of the Gods, it's true. It, it, he really can make that thing wail. But he was still also very precise and technical in his playing. Yes, he wasn't just a heavy, just a straight on heavy drummer. There was a lot of great nuance in his playing. Great choice. That's definitely a fan favorite song. My number three is from Led Zeppelin 3. And it's a song that probably a lot of people dismiss because it's kind of short and maybe a little superfluous, but I absolutely love it. It's Tangerine. Ooh, great choice. I love this song. Tangerine, the summer's day I only find it sleeps away to gray The hours they bring me pain Thanks. Yeah, I do too. It, it's just the right length. It has a great melody. It's catchy. It's memorable. To me, it sums up everything that they were capable of doing musically in one song. Yeah, it's a very well-crafted song. Absolutely. And it doesn't overstay its welcome. All right, how about number two? What you got? Uh, my number two, this is also an epic. Uh, this is off of uh, Houses of the Holy, and this is No Quarter. Snow falls hard, and don't you know? The winds of Thor are blowing cold. They're wearing steel that's bright and true. Uh, this is another epic track like Achilles' Last Stand. I think it's one of their more proggier numbers. Yeah. has a nice uh, foreboding atmosphere. This expanded greatly in concert. Oh, uh, yeah. This was about 30 minutes in 1977. Ooh, wow. I didn't know it expanded that much. <laughs> it got the Dazed and Confused treatment. Yeah, Dazed and Confused kind of lasted only until about 1975. I think Jimmy Page got tired of playing the song or had trouble playing it. He and I think get enough well, violin bows. Yeah, <laughs> that might be it. Great choice. So my number two is not on an album. It's a singles only song. It's a B-side that every once in a while you'll hear on the radio and it's very non-Led Zeppelin, but it's Hey, Hey, What Can I Do? I want to tell about another soul I threw with every touch I need to tell her she's the only one I Ooh, nice choice. Thanks. It's very catchy. It's very upbeat and up-tempo for a Led Zeppelin song. Great arrangement. And it's surprising to me that it was not featured on an album. Sort of, I guess. But maybe if you think about it, I don't know what album it would really fit onto because it's a lot more lightweight than a lot of their other a lot of the tracks that make up their album. But I think it's just I think it's a great song. They could have got rid of uh Hats Off to Roy Har- Harper. Oh. Uh, their worst song. 
Absolutely. Their worst song, which is from their best album. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. All right, I guess we're on to the top. Number one. Number one got set already. It's Tangerine. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I just love, love, love this song. It's just, it's great. What more to say? And as it would be, my number one was also already said, and it's No Quarter. We are very similar in our Led Zeppelin taste. No Quarter is, I think, is maybe their masterpiece. Moody, atmospheric, beautiful, long, but just long enough to be effective. Really takes you on a journey. I love the treatment on the vocals. The production sounds great. It's just an all-around A-plus song. I have to agree with you. Do you want to, since we kind of overlapped, do you want to pick a bonus song just for just for uh, giggles? Uh, sure. Okay. Um, I would like to go with Full in the Rain. I mean, it's overplayed, yeah. but I think it's overplayed for a reason. Really, really nice drumming from uh, Bonzo on this. Um, I kind of wish that they were able to continue and move on to this direction. I mean, I really like the uh, first two solo albums that Robert Plant came with after Led Zeppelin broke up. For my bonus track, I'm going to pick a really left field choice. A song that I think a lot of people actually dislike very much, but I think it's a bop, as the kids call it, from Led Zeppelin 3, and it's a side opener, um, Gallows Pole. I couldn't get no go. You know the way to damn power in the gallows pole. Hangman, hangman, hold it a little while. I think I see my brother coming right in many a mile. Brother, you give me some silver as you get a little. Ooh, that's a good choice. Isn't that I, I like that choice too. Yeah, that's such a great song. Nobody really ever talks about it. I, I love, I love any song that has a good build. And to me, this song is like probably the best build in the Led Zeppelin catalog. It just it, the way it starts off, it, it really gets its hooks in you. It draws you right in with the clackety percussion, and then by the time the song is over, it's kind of like knocking you in the face with all the instrumentation. But it's not. But it's not an electric song. It's an acoustic song. But it just pummels you by the end of it, and it's really a phenomenal build. It's a good one. Thanks. So, yeah, listeners, weigh in. You can tell us what your top three songs are, too. So I'd be very interested because I feel, you and I notwithstanding, I feel like Led Zeppelin's a band that we're going to get a lot of different answers to if we ask for a top three. Yeah, just hopefully we don't get a song top wrong or uh, Dave Finn's going to bring down <laughs> he's gonna get the let out on us (laughs) you heard it here we can get to the song remains the same the 1976 movie and uh wow let me tell you that was something so i'll I'll go into when i first saw the song remains the same it was last night (laughs) really well kind of i just saw it for the first time in its entirety last night i remember when i was a kid i was very much a vh1 kid back when vh1 was a thing 
and they would have their weekly rock and roll picture show, they would call it, where they would have a rock and roll movie that they would play. And The Song Remains the Same was one that they had on pretty regularly. And I never watched it from start to finish, but I remember kind of channel surfing when it was on and seeing like the weird medieval imagery and a lot of the other fantasy sequences that are in the movie and just singing, this is very odd. Um, I'm not sure what they're going for, and I don't think I'm really into it. So I'm going to change the channel and watch um, Full House. (laughs) (laughs) So that's typically what I did. But yeah, no, I just watched it for the first time in its completion last night, and it it was very interesting. So let's start with you. What are your your overall thoughts? This was a film, when I saw it when I was a kid, I kind of held it in high regard. Now, keep in mind, Around this time in the 90s, there wasn't very much concert footage of Led Zeppelin. That's true. Yeah. I think this, this was about the only live document of the band you could get at that time. Um, I think later in 1998, they came out with BBC Sessions, which was another live album, which I think ended up eclipsing The Song Remains the Same. And then even more profoundly in 2003 there was a two dvd compilation of some of led zeppelin's unreleased concerts and that pretty much destroys the song remains the same i'm not much of an authority on led zeppelin's live performances but from what i've heard and read the song remains the same is incredibly middle of the road for them as far as live performances go yes even on the tour this was kind of towards the end of the tour that they were doing at the time in 1973, and they were exhausted at this time. I think even after this time, they took about a year, yeah, about a year and a half off before they started touring again. Wow. And it shows. Like, it it was an incredibly long tour, an incredibly busy tour, and you could see the fatigue a little bit, I would say, in their their playing and in their stage demeanor even. The energy is just about there but you, you can just tell that the vibe is a little less than normal yeah especially with robert Plant, it just seems like he's kind of tired throughout the whole show yeah maybe that's why he's not wearing underwear and you can see the outline <laughs> <laughs> just too tired to care at that point i think so yeah because let me tell you he is i have a fairly large television and uh his midsection is definitely staring you in the face for a lot of this movie <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say on that but yeah um no you can kind of see because he's not really he's getting into the music enough but he's just kind of like that famous stance he has where he has kind of his one hand out and he's just moving back and forth a little bit slightly but he's not doesn't seem like he's putting his whole blood and guts into it this kind of feels like he's tired throughout the whole film Mm -hmm. yeah i don't even know who really seems to have the high energy out of the floor during this concert Bonham, maybe John Paul Jones, because he cared enough to choose a different outfit each night. That's true, and even a wig on certain nights. Yeah, funny thing about this film, uh, about a year later, they had to do reshoots. <laughs> yes. And they went on a soundstage to fill up missing gap. Yeah, you can kind of tell something's off in the film. Like, it seems like when I was watching it, like some stuff didn't sync up with the audio, like the video didn't sync up. You'd hear a drum fill, and then John Bonham, you'd see it visually. It's like he's playing a different fill. Right, yeah. Or the guitar part's a little bit off. Or Or it's even like sometimes you can tell like subtle differences in like the sound mix. Yeah. It's it's a little sloppy. 
Very so. And this was kind of a film that had some problems along the way. That's why it, it took sure so did. long to get released. It sure did. This um, was a pretty ravaged film experience for all four of them and the entire production crew. Yeah, there was a change of directors. Um, of course, they had to go do reshoots. They had to... They were going to film additional sequences in 1975 just because they were kind of a little bit dissatisfied with the footage that they had already. But unfortunately, that's when Robert Plant got into his car accident and then the rest of the tour had to get canceled. So they were not able to have that 1975 footage. So about a year later, this is what we got. I think they were tax exiles because they were having some tax problems in England like most of the English bands were having. From what I've heard, their car kind of went off a cliff. and It's not meant to be funny, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's just the way you said it. Was so... <laughs> and you said it very nonchalant. Like, eh, it kind of went off a cliff. <laughs> I'm sorry. They survived the car wreck, um, but it did take a while for Robert Plant to recuperate. So yeah, obviously that was going to prolong the experience of making the film too. So let's talk about the director issue. So there's two credited directors in the movie. We have Peter Clifton and Joe Massett. Massett? Massett? Yeah. Massett? Yeah, I'm not really sure the pronunciation on that. There was a bit of drama involving the directors. It was pretty bad for a while. I'm not exactly sure what the entire story is. I think they were just kind of dissatisfied with the footage. So they wanted to bring in somebody else. And even after this film, I think Joe Massett did like, this one other concert film after that. It was about the ska craze in England. They had an original director, and um, Peter Grant was not happy with him, so he fired him, and so then he got Joe Massot. I think Joe Massot was actually the original one, then they went with Peter Clifton. Oh, you're probably right, yeah. It's kind of like a Bohemian Rhapsody situation a little bit, where Brian Singer's the director on it, but there was actually somebody else that directed a lot of the film that didn't get credited. Yeah, exactly. And um, Peter Grant is a figure that we do see a fair amount of in this movie. And it's never really in a great light for some reason. If Even though he was a producer of this movie, he still chose to include himself in some very unflattering scenes. Yeah, I think he gets into a fight with uh, some of the promoters at the Madison Square Garden over bootleg t-shirts. Yeah, so in case anybody doesn't know, Peter Grant was their manager. And he's also the producer of this film. Yeah, he's the gangster guy that you see in the opening sequence of the film. He was a guy that pretty much just wanted to protect his van. And he must have done a good job because I don't really hear about Led Zeppelin having management problems or money problems like you hear from all the other bands. So outside of the movie's storied history, it also went significantly over budget. I think they blew their budget on making the elaborate sets for the fantasy sequences. Yeah, why do they do these fantasy sequences? Yeah, that's a really good question. I wish I had an answer, but I think it's pretty common of pretty common opinion that the fantasy scenes were not cocaine. very well realized. Cocaine, that's a big reason. Cocaine. <laughs> um <laughs> Lord of the Rings fetishization. Drag racing. Drag racing, yep. And what was the other one? I just watched it last night and I already can't remember what the other one is. Oh, the horses. Horse that one was really boring. That's probably why I forgot it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's very distracting. It's very silly. It 
really adds no meaningful substance to the movie at all. They're not even that well produced. I'm looking at you, wizard scene, with the rainbow hand going around your head. (laughs) (laughs) In Jimmy Page's horrifyingly creepy fantasy sequence, what was that? Jeez. Yeah, very creepy. Yeah. With his face that starts as an old man and that does like like a Martin Scorsese Irishman reverse aging effect. (laughs) <laughs> until but it, but then you get to when he's actually like a kid and it goes from his actual face inside this hood to they're just the superimposing old black and white photos of him as a baby and a child and it just looks so stupid <laughs> that was a rough one all those sequences are kind of rough i don't really have a favorite I, maybe john bonham's is okay because it's like more down to earth it's not it's, as goofy as the other three right it's him just being himself and in all fairness, all four of them could just have been them being themselves, depending on their degree of inebriation. But his was definitely the, the least nutty. And even like yeah. Robert Plant's Lord of the Rings thing was just so, so silly. Do you have a least favorite? Um, <laughs> all of them. All of them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they might have done those fantasy sequences like I talked about before, because maybe there, there was... There were gaps in the film, so they thought, well, maybe we need to have these fantasy sequences to pad it out. But the thing is, the movie as it is, is already too long. Like, it's it's pushing two and a half hours, which for me was just way too long. I gotcha. Now, I really do like the uh, 30-minute long Dazed and Confused. You probably feel differently. I actually had no problem with it, believe it or not. I thought it was really cool seeing Jimmy Page do his thing. And really, it's just him and only him. And the song goes in a lot of more interesting directions in the film and in concert than it does on the original album. And so that kept me engaged and interested. And actually, it was funny. I wasn't sure if they were still on Dazed and Confused when that was going on in the movie. I thought maybe they were just doing like a mashup or a medley of different songs because it was going on for so long. And they were going through so many different changing rhythms and changing styles so much that I didn't realize it was so dazed and confused, you know? Yeah, that song went out to some far out places. I, by the next tour, the longest version of Days and Confused went up to 43 minutes. Ooh, okay, that might be pushing it for me. <laughs> <laughs> but 29 is about what I can handle, 29 minutes. During this point in the film, the band kind of starts to wake up a little bit, in my opinion. There's a lot more band interplay. It seems like they're a little bit more interested in what they're doing. So maybe they were just ready for this part of the show. They were waiting for Robert Plant to not participate. (laughs) (laughs) When he's off stage, they suddenly seem to come to life for some reason. Maybe. You know, when you see somebody yawning, it gets to you. So maybe it's that effect. (laughs) Could be, yeah. But I thought that was cool. I liked the lighting also in that scene. And there was a lot of really great cinematography and camera work, I thought. Yeah, it's shot really well. The one creepy moment was when they do a freeze frame on Jimmy Page's face and they do a zoom into his eyeball to show the guy backstage having a, a fan who got loose backstage and the security men are trying to like violently restrain him while there's onlookers. It's a weird moment in the song. <laughs> it really got me off guard. Like, Whoa, wait a minute. What's going on? It's Jimmy Page. He's the creeper. Some of like the camera effects, like the double shot or like the mirror image effects were a little cheesy, but it wasn't, it wasn't unbearable. It's probably cool if you were on drugs. Oh yeah. Very early seventies, late sixties psychedelia, but it, it was fun to look at. What were some of the per- song performances that you didn't care for? Um, I didn't care for rock and roll since I'm sick of that song. 
Nut Quarter kind of didn't work in the film as well for me. I mean, it's it's one of my top three favorite songs, but I think it mixed up with the fantasy sequence. It just didn't work for me. Do you have any other favorites? I really like the whole lot of love in this film. It's funny because I thought I'd be bored during that sequence because it's a song that's kind of overplayed, but it's a classic for a reason. I've, it's one of those other songs where they woke up on too, it seemed like. Yeah, maybe they knew it was like almost at the end of the concert. So they're like, oh, I can't wait to finish. <laughs> we're going to really bring it. <laughs> I thought they rocked pretty hard on most of the songs. Interestingly, and this was something we were talking about with some friends on Twitter yesterday, this movie is almost entirely devoid of any of their acoustic tracks, which was allegedly a staple of their live act and their set list in the early 70s, or most of their career, actually. And I think this is kind of a bummer because I would have loved, loved to have seen like something like Tangerine or That's the Way. And you can see some of that stuff on the 2003 Let's <laughs> DVD, which is why Duly it's so the song remains the same. And just go, going back to the 2003 DVD, I guess that was just a big monumental change in Led Zeppelin history for me because I thought Song Remains the Same was a pretty decent live performance of them. And then when that came out, it just like totally destroyed it. I think it's just because they have footage from an older concert as well. And then they have the acoustic material that they did in 1975. And there's a lot more variety. You don't have the stupid fantasy sequences. <laughs> it just works a lot better. Do they end their concert with flames and the gong of fire that John Bonham is banging at the end of the concert? <laughs> no, it's a compilation of different concerts. On I that. see. Yeah. I wonder if other bands did that too. Maybe not. I don't know. In the seventies. I don't know. I don't, I feel like that wasn't really a thing until like the nineties, but I could be wrong. I was not around during that time. So, so well, maybe over, let me know. Kiss might've been the other act. Well, I mean, they had, they were breathing fire and had all the pyrotechnics. So maybe That's that was true. like, I think that was the only other act and just assholes fine, uh, throwing firecrackers at every other performance of the seventies. Right. <laughs> One thing I also would have liked more of in the film too, was more of the backstage stuff. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Because there was some, but it was not nearly enough to be interesting or satisfying to me. I kind of like that one little speech that Robert Plant does. With the, yeah, bash! <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's towards the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that was good. Even more like band interviews and things like that, because there's very little of that. Yeah, I think they wanted to kind of keep that mystique about the band at the time. What was the deal at the end of the movie with Peter Grant with the safe deposit box? Yeah, I think they had put some money in the safe deposit box. I think it was money that they got from promoters and various agents, and somebody had broken into it. The police were a little suspicious about it. They thought maybe the manager might have taken some money or somebody from that organization. That's true, because then he was he was questioned about it, and... A rumor has it, or legend has it, that he was not. He ended up not being handcuffed at the police station because the officer that took him used to be a drummer that was that actually had toured with the Yardbirds back in the '60s. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He sort of had some good luck in that regard. So, yeah, I don't think he's a guy that would steal money from the band because he seemed like a guy that wanted to make sure that his band his band did not get screwed by anybody. Right. That's why he's like yelling at all the promoters and making sure there's no bootleg t-shirts. And Yeah. When they first released the movie, he 
insisted that all the profanity that he said be bleeped out or be censored, <laughs> which they did. But then later versions of the movie, they uncensored it. <laughs> so that's the one that that's the official version now is the uncensored one. Yeah, as far as concert films go, I think this one, if you were to just remove all the extraneous stuff, I do think it's a pretty solid concert movie. The song selection is good. Oh, that's what I wanted to ask you. What did you think of John Bonham's extended drum solo? You being a drummer. I like John Bonham's drumming. Um, I'm not a fan of this drum solo. I'm not really a big fan of drum solos, unless it's Neil Peart, because Neil Peart did his drum solos in a certain way. It's kind of almost like a song. John Bonham's drum solo is just, let's see what how many drums I can hit and how fast I can go. Hey, check this out. See what I can do. Now I'm going to hit the drums with my hands. Now I'm going to hit the gong a bunch of times. <laughs> I think it was just an excuse for the other band members to take a break at that point. <laughs> we had three beers. We got a PU play, John. And sadly, this song went up to like 30 minutes in 1977 as well. <laughs> when you're that strung out, 30 minutes is 30 seconds. Time is, is of no meaning. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't bother me as much as I think a lot of people. I thought it was kind of interesting because I'm always fascinated by drum players. I've always wanted to learn how to play the drums. And so things like that always do kind of wow me. As far as the band members go, John Paul Jones didn't really, because he's so amazing and he's so underrated, he didn't get a lot of camera time. No, he didn't. And you'd think he would with a sweet jacket with the apple on it. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And his hair. Yeah, allegedly he wore a wig for some of the reshoots because his hair, by that point, he had cut it because they finished the tour and when they had to go back and do reshoots, they had to make him a wig so that it would match his hair from the rest of the tour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Moby Dick was the drum solo. I should have said the name of that song. Moby Dick, 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 Dick. <laughs> Stairway to Heaven was fine. Not really that bad of a version. No, it's not bad. And then we get it again in the closing credits. See, that was silly to me. But why? There's so yeah. many songs you could pick to close the movie out. Why recycle a song you already played? And and why do something yeah. that downbeat? You know, do immigrant yeah. song. Yeah, I don't know if that would be a great ending song, but they could have had that in the film. I don't know why they wanted to focus on the plane for about four minutes. It's cool to see their private jet for just a minute or two, but they just lingered on it. Yeah, it would have been cool if like maybe they had some footage inside the jet. That would have been cool to see. This might have been because I just recently watched Depeche Mode 101. Um, which was directed by, by um, D.A. Pennebaker, who's known for using a lot of audience shots. I would have also liked some audience reactions, too. would have been kind of cool to see. There's some. Like, there's the one lady with the cool hood and the cool robe on who's really into it. They, there's a couple little moments like that. I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the fan base of Led Zeppelin in 1973 would have looked like. Yeah, I, I don't know if this is true, but I've heard a rumor that they use some of that crowd. That Some of that crowd footage comes from Yes songs. Really? <laughs> yes, did, but I have not seen that film, so I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, as a yes fan, I have not either, which is I got I got to fix that. Interesting, you say that because there were times where the audience seemed a little bit dead, like they weren't really into the music. Yeah, and that was kind of the vibe that most prog audiences had, like where they're sitting down and very just focused. Is it? Yeah, yeah. And the movie's a mixed bag. I'm sure every Led Zeppelin fan has already seen the film. If you're a moderate to casual Led Zeppelin fan, I'd still say see it. The concert footage is very impressive. It's a pretty significant flaw of the movie to have a lot of it interspersed with the fantasy scenes. Yeah, I agree with that. In 1976, the original, the initial screening of the movie before it was released was attended by a lot of the executives of Atlantic Records. And of course, the, um, the president of Atlantic Records, Ahmet Erdogan, he attended this screening at midnight and he fell asleep during the movie 
(laughs) (laughs) Can't blame. Yeah. And uh, Peter Grant, actually his comment on the movie, he had said that the song remains the same was the most expensive home movie ever made. (laughs) As far as box office goes, I think it was, it was a moderate success among fans. You know, it wasn't a smash. I think they were a little bit disappointed. Obviously it's a fan favorite. Yeah. And I would say if you're going to get into what's up when maybe check out that 2003 DVD first, but I think you should try watching the song remains the same. See if you like it or not. Now let's talk quickly about the album. I know that was your rock solid album of the day. When I read your tweet, it looked like you gave it a lukewarm review. I did. Um, and this is a soundtrack that's kind of had some problems over the years. I like the original edition that came out in 1976 better because actually I think they used some different performance elements for some of the songs. Like No Quarter on the original album seems to be a lot better than what they use in the film, actually. Mm. And then... They did a remixed, expanded version of the soundtrack, and they kind of took out some of the edits. So it's like a weird, hmm. it's kind of a weird listening experience. Yeah. Plus, it seems like there's a lot more filler on the expanded edition. And just kind of going back to them sounding tired, it's you can kind of just tell on the album. And like the movie, same with the live album. There was other live albums that came afterwards that were a better example of Led Zeppelin live. And there's some bootlegs that are really good. If you have a chance, you should listen to a bootleg called Listen to This, Eddie. And it's from 1977, and the band are on fire. I mean, John Bonham and John Paul Jones are kicking ass on it. And this is from a tour that they had a lot of problems on. I think Jimmy Page was very high on the horse at this time. And they had a lot of sporadic performances. But this one, they must have gotten to the X Factor because they're they're kicking ass and taking names on it. Wow. So go check that one out. The expanded edition, the re-release that came out in 2007, it also has a song I would have loved to have heard them include in the movie, Over the Hills and Far Away which is my other favorite off House of the Holy. And uh, Celebration Day, along with Misty Mountain Hop in the Ocean, were all featured in the expanded movies. Any of those songs would have been nice additions to the movie, I think. Yeah, I, I think so, too. If you do get the uh, two DVD set of The Song Remains the Same, on the second disc, they do have those four performances on there. And it comes with a T-shirt. <laughs> That's The Song Remains the Same. I, I often find concert films are a little bit challenging to talk about and to have like a really meaty discussion about because you're really just kind of watching a band perform and it's oftentimes they're letting just the music speak for itself and that's the case in this movie like this was a tricky film to really talk about it's a little bit hard to explain because it's not like if you're talking about head or tommy where you have a plot going on and you have certain sequences at concert films it's just like you kind of have to talk about the nuances of the performance, and sometimes that can be a little bit hard to do. It's maybe better or more interesting to focus on things like the cinematography and the lighting and the the editing, too. Editing also is a really important part of the of a good concert film. And this movie is not a complete success as far as editing goes. I mean, there's a lot of those moments that you mentioned where you can tell that they're miming to the music or it doesn't match up with what's happening on stage. And that might be the biggest technical flaw of the movie. If you're going to make a concert film, that's definitely something that needs to be considered almost as a top priority. There's some stuff that works, and other times you can tell that there's stuff that doesn't work. 
Yeah. It's kind of a very mixed bag. It is. It is. It sounds good. Like on the on my speakers, it sounded really nice. That's, I think, why Peter Grant decided that he wanted to do an actual theatrical movie. Because initially this was thought of or pitched to be a television film. And he didn't think that was appropriate. Televisions in the 1970s were not anything like they are now. And he thought that it would diminish the quality of the sound of the music. And so he wanted, so he insisted in his Peter Grant way for it to be a cinematic movie. Yeah. And funny thing enough, um, very early on in the career, they wanted to have a concert film. Um, They originally did do footage in February of 1970 at the uh, Royal Albert Hall, which you can see on the first DVD in that 2003 DVD set. However, there were some lighting problems. You can kind of tell it's a little bit dark. Um, There's a couple of gaps in the footage. Mm -hmm. I I think it was originally going to be released on television however some months had passed um they viewed the footage before deciding on if they were going to release it or not and by that time they thought they were kind of outdated at that point the footage was because they were in led zeppelin free territory at that time and that footage is very early stuff uh the first two albums and it wouldn't have really been relevant to what they were doing at that point right but the funny thing is, when this got released in 1976, it was very out of date this time. Uh, punk was coming through. They had done two albums since this 1973 tour, so it was very outdated by the time this film got released. So that's kind of funny that that's true. <laughs> happening. So my final thoughts. It's a very flawed film. It has a lot of problems, has a lot of technical issues has a lot of pacing issues, but I think it's it's still worth watching. It's an enjoyable movie. I don't think it'll turn anybody into a Led Zeppelin fan, necessarily, but I think if you are a fan, if you have not, for some reason, seen it already, I think it's definitely worth your while and definitely has a lot of historical value and a lot of great musical moments as well. I think you said my final thoughts pretty well. Um, just check it out. This is kind of a film I wanted to cover just because... If you're doing a movie podcast about rock music, you kind of need to do this film. Plus, I had some thoughts on it as well, and we're kind of on the same boat. We're same page on this. But I wonder how the comments are going to be after this episode. Yeah, I was going to say, I might have to walk on some eggshells. People love honesty, too, uh, and that's important. We should be always be honest of how we feel about a film or a band. Or, Yep, thanks for talking with me. I kind of forgot... Uh, what we've been kind of going through the last couple of months or so. Yeah, this was this was a good escape, I think, and I hope it is for everybody who's listening too. Mike Bankford, where can we find you on the social media? You can find me on the Twitter at Michael Bagford, um, part of the uh, Rock Solid album a day, twenty twenty. Join the club, uh, guys! I just did. Uh, you can check out all my album picks. I tweet about other stuff too, promote other podcasts. Um. Maybe I'll do a podcast in the future. I'm always friending it every single time I'm on here. <laughs> and then I end up being a wuss and not doing it. One of these days, I'm, you're going to hold. You're gonna have said it so many times that people are going to start searching for it and not seeing it. So you better make good on that soon. Yeah, um, but you can always find me on other podcasts, too. I'm usually guesting on other people's podcasts as well. Still hoping to do that. I've tried. I just like talking with people about music and movies and stuff. Especially during this time where I can't really go out and go talk yeah. to somebody about what's up when the song remains the same. If I did that in normal times, they probably want to start falling asleep or start walking <laughs> away. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Thank you, Mike. Um, so if you want to contact me, you know, leave any, if there are any Led Zeppelin diehards that want to leave, you know, nasty messages for me, my email address is moviesatrockpod at gmail.com. You can send hate tweets at rockmoviespod, or you can send them to my personal email. Well, not email. You can send my personal Twitter handle, which is joshf618. And you can, if we really upset you, you can leave a negative review on Apple Podcasts. Although we prefer the positive, you can leave the negatives too. It just helps people to find the show. There's some people that might not want to find the show too, I suppose. That is pretty much a wrap. If there's anything, any final words you want to add, Mike, thank you for coming on. Uh, my pleasure, Josh. Well, have a great night. Thanks again. And I will be talking to you very soon. All right. Sounds good, Josh. Have a good night. Thanks. You too. Take care, Mike. 